Hello and welcome to Plant Pals, my podcast where I talk to my pals about plants. I'm your host, Mike, and my pal this week is the returning champ, Richard Rockman, who's now a PhD student in Idaho. Also, I'm moving this podcast to a it-comes-out-when-it-comes-out schedule. Thanks. Love you. Bye. Yeah, I'm pretty smart. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, so it's recording. Okay. Um, what do you want to talk about this time? Go ahead. Um, wait, I just did something really cool. So okay. um, there's this place called the Peregrine Fund Birds of Prey Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. It's probably not the official title, but it's probably something really similar. So it's not called that. <laughs> It's something similar, okay? <laughs> but so they have, like, they've bred most of the California condors for yeah. the Western United States. In Idaho? Yeah, it's in Boise. It's okay. just, like, it's, like, 20 minutes from where I live. And so I took this guy out that I'm dating out there, and they do fall flights. And that's when they have things like um, owls, turkey vultures, par- uh, falcons, um, ferruginous hawks do flyovers the audience. And so there's like 100, 200 people sitting in a really cool native plant garden stone. Uh, what's it called? Like a, like a thing with seats. An amphitheater. <laughs> amphitheater, thank you. And the, the birds fly right over your head. And I, like the blue I, angels? Uh, yeah. But they fly, they fly like literally over your skulls. Like on wow. their way from one handler to another, and I got hit in the face by a bird wing, and it was super cool. Hell yeah! Which kind of bird, you know? I think it was a frugnus hawk. Glad you said that word out loud. And there's like Swainson's hawks. They had those too. Um, the falcons fly super fast. That's kind of gnarly to watch. They rescued. They basically the uh, peregrine fund basically rescued the peregrine falcon from extinction. Really? Um, there was less than a hundred breeding pairs. What? And I think in the 1970s, and now there's like millions of birds. Yeah. They're, they're fine. And you um, got hit by DDT and right. Rachel Carson and all that. Yeah, fucking Rachel Carson up to no good. No, she's fucking. great. Have you read that book? I tried, but it's a bummer. <laughs> it's, 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 it's incredibly jets. inspiring, but also I yeah. know like what happened scientifically, and when they make it poetic and easy to read, it just makes me sadder. Yeah, so I can digest it more. <laughs> I can't hide behind my numbers. Am I supposed to introduce myself? No, I'll do it. You're, this is your second time. Everybody knows who you are. You're the OG well, returning champ of Plant Pal. But I'm you're, you're the Plant Pal. I get it, but I'm different now. <laughs> okay, I have this. Wanted. I have this cowboy hat. Everything's different now. Do you wear it with headphones? Oh, you have a green fidget spinner too. I have a red one. That's so funny. That I have that. a lot of anxiety, so I have multiple yes. different things. I have a fidget spinner. I have this thing that's kind of like a snake that I can bend and twist. I have a jigglypuff that sometimes gives me power and energy. Um. I have yeah. these little scraps of paper I pick apart and fold up into little rolls, and this desk looks like an origami studio by the end of a recording. Um, yeah. Wait, so I'll just tell you, and for anyone that doesn't know, I'm a PhD student at Boise State University. I'm in the Coughlin Lab, um, where we study spatial ecology and uh, plant using plants mostly. But... Um, yeah, I'm for my dissertation. I'm working on goat head, which is an invasive species here in Boise, and links to socioeconomic distributions within the city. I'm fascinated by weeds. I think they're super cool. And then I also study sagebrush step and how wildfire affects dis- spatial distribution of plants. We use drones in order to do that. I don't fly the drones. Oh, it's a lot of work. You have to. Do get they not license. let you, or they just don't because it's too much. Um, if I like wanted to press it, my advisor said I could learn how to fly drones, but it's a my it's a lot of work and the technology is constantly changing. 
Wait, I'm excited to talk about drones. I want to talk about drones. Okay. Yeah, not my drone. I don't. Yeah, I don't no, want, drone like the robots. I never want to talk about my drone. Whoa, hold on. Yeah. Why? It's a hot take. No you reason. Like my drone. They're not in LA. I don't think they're. Well, in LA. oh my god, nothing's in LA. Everyone. So if you're fucking weeds. <laughs> LA in San Diego bi- County. LA is a biodiversity hotspot. It was. Oh, <laughs> them's fighting words. Um, okay, so I want to talk about drones. Okay. So, like, our lab uses drones to study changes in plant communities to up to like a centimeter of resolution. So, mm-hmm. whoa, that's if, crazy! It's super crazy. So, if we map out sagebrush, um, I do some ground control or ground truthing. I measure locations up to a centimeter using RTKs. Mm-hmm. Um, which are like GPS devices that talk to like multiple satellites. And then we train drone imagery using random force models to map out sagebrush across like pretty large areas. Like it would take you and I as botanists a lot longer to do what we can do in just a few hours of work. Um, so it's kind of the future, but okay. So here's the interesting <laughs> thing. Great, so the robots are coming for our jobs. The robots are coming for our jobs. And soon they're going to be able to do plant identification and what's called segmentation is where you draw a line around a shrub um, or a plant. Like, And we're doing this with rare plants too. We're using, um, I'm going to teach a, a Jepson uh, herbarium webinar on drones and GIS. I'm really excited about it. That's cool. But um, yeah, um, hopefully, fingers crossed. We still need to talk to them about it. But uh so in the future, they're going to be able to have drones that go over habitat and be able to draw segments around the shrubs and the plants as they're flying over them in real time. So that you as the technician will be over there and be able to map the trees, map the landscape as the drone flies over. Um, none of this is what I find. I mean, this is all really interesting. I'm excited to use it as yeah. an apologist. But what I really want to talk about is the politics behind drones right now. Okay. Because it's really messed up. So there's all this... you find th- the messy side of the most stale oh, science yeah. possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's me dripping into the drama. But so drones have this, all this potential to be used in wildfire management, um, habitat degradation, urbanization, like all these things that are affecting rare plant populations. Um, invasive species. We can model invasive species using drones. Um, super cool data. So right now, there is a bit of a chokehold on using drones in science because of um, first the Trump administration and now the Biden administration, um, and that specifically the Department of Defense. So they don't want any parts. Um, from China to be used in monitoring American public lands. Mm. So, and there's ways around it. There are people that do drone flights on public lands, BLM, U.S. Forest Service, tribal lands, but it's very tricky. And most people that have bought drones before this happened, before the Trump administration made this decision to block Chinese drones, um, they bought the equipment. And so now we have... uh, ranger stations and labs full of drone equipment that is not being used because it's made it has parts from China or is, is it like China. any parts, any screw manufactured? Like, well, so there's ways around it. And I think one of the ways is that if you can prove your camera equipment is American uh, okay. made, um, or European made. Um, so there's, there's, there are ways around it. It's cumbersome. It's expensive. Um, one of the best ways around this ban is if you use um, American-made or European-approved drones. So that's on the Department of Defense's blue list. And now these things cost $20,000. Some of them are like $16,000, $18,000. But most of them are like more into like $25,000, stuff like that. Just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, And the reason why we use the drones we do, the Mavics, is because they cost $1,000. Um, a lot of them collect um, what's called RGB, red, green, blue. 
And with red, green, blue, we can get what's called structure for motion, which is when you move over an object, you take hundreds of pictures, you can reconstruct that object from just red, green, blue, um, just by how many pictures you took. And you can figure out how tall that plant was, how much biomass that plant was. Um, you can get a lot of information. Now, things get a little messy, messy around 20 centimeters. So like a lot of rare plants are like under 20 centimeters. Yeah. Um, so it, but it's improving all the time. But the point being, we want our science to be replicable. We want researchers to be able to, all around the world, in um, the Guyana Shields, in Southeast Asia, where we've, our labs collaborated, we want That's those cool. re- researchers to be able to use $1,000 drones to do their plant monitoring, to do their um, plant ecology research. Um, and if we have restrictions in getting funding, so that's a huge issue, right? We can fly our drones kind of anywhere, but getting funded to do that is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. So once the government finds out, okay, so you're using your drones, your Chinese-made drones to do this research, we cannot fund your project, is basically the answer we've been getting a lot. Um, so can you still legally, you can't fly it though, even if you're not funded? We do fly it. And well, it is legal. So a lot, okay. of B, a lot of BLM land... I don't know, like you tell people and you kind of get permission from some BLM Well, um, I think what's benefiting us is the rules are so screwy. Yeah. And the technology is changing so much. And like they got a memorandum recently that was telling people to not fly on BLM land. But like we've been told by other officers, like, no, 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 go like do what you need to do. Um it's so weird. And we're, so that's part of the problem. We're not getting consistent answers. We're being told no by some people and yes by others. Yeah. Which, I mean, the gray area is probably great if it was a hard no. Like, otherwise, you know, you can I of, just it's want, open to enough interpretation that you can kind of wink and nudge your way through. I just want clarity. Like, um, so I'm looking up her name right now. Okay, so I met with Tracy Stone Manning who's the director of the BLM. Um, she came to Boise State and... Oh, that's right. I, yeah. I got to ask her two questions. And yeah. so the first question, which isn't about drones, was about um, how researchers want to study the effect of cattle grazing and horse grazing in wild horses on rare plant populations. But we're often told to not write grants in that field because it could... Um, Negatively, negatively impact the relationship between the BLM and ranchers. I knew it. They're suppressing but science in the favor she of cows. Said, no, because I agree with you with that sentiment. But she said, no, absolutely not. We want research that shows all sides. Yeah, so, that's what pl- they so say. please do the research. Please write the grants. And hopefully we can get those funded because rare plants are really important. Okay, whatever. That was my first question. My other question that I got to ask her. After other people ask some questions, I raise my hand again. Do you think I wanted to ask, um, your employees want to use drones, BLM staff, range managers, they want to use drones. Um, It would make our jobs easier, make our jobs safer. Um, We would get better science by using like mass uh, surveillance, monitoring, mass (laughs) monitoring. (laughs) Freudian slip. Of mass monitoring of rangelands. And we want to be able to do this. Um, we want clarity. When are we going to get clarity? And why can't we use Chinese-made drones? Mm-hmm. Her answer was basically like, well, the Department of Defense has really good intel that you know Chinese products are dangerous, which is just, like, I, I can't believe that. Like, yeah. They've been saying the same thing about TikTok. They've been saying the same thing about, like, TVs made in China. If we can't aggregate that data, no one can. Like, I just don't understand why the Chinese government would care about cow fields or like sagebrush stuff. It's just advertise. Like just these, you know, massive metadata that they collect from everything. Not they, everybody does it. The US does it probably fucking more. But it's just like, you know, you can better, like every TV show now is you feed a real computer enough data and it can predict what you want to buy in three weeks. Okay, but here's the other thing. The drone's not even connected to the internet. It's like connected to a cell phone, which is American. It's usually our iPhone. Which is kind of a program. I guess there's maybe, but it's just none of it makes sense. I can um, see the conspiracy angle and it's kind of fun, but at the end of the day, I don't give a shit if I'm like, because of course your, everything's spying on me. 
these are government officials that have these conspiracy theories. Yeah. This isn't, so, I mean, this, spy warfare has been a thing for like 100 years. With okay. Okay. Maybe this is why I'm a botanist. Maybe this is why I'm a plant ecologist and not a cybersecurity expert. Um, <laughs> I just want to do cool science. And like, yeah. I don't know. No, I think it's overreach. And I think it's... I, I, if I was an evil government spook, I could see the logic, but I am a tired civilian and I'm just like, let me live my life and do my little experiments. And like, I know you're watching me. Here, I can't do anything about it. I want you to, I'm going to give you $50,000 to study this rare Dudleya that lives yeah. on a cliff. Um, and I, I'd really like that you not disturb that cliff. What are you going to do? Yeah, you spend can hire, rent. you can <laughs> spend uh, one month's rent in Santa Cruz. <laughs> um, you could like do repelling, I guess, and a lot of people yeah. do that for Dudley research. Well, that's but massively damaging if you're crawling down the cliff. So damaging, and think of the moss populations, and you could be distributing seeds of different populations mm-hmm. of Dudleya. Um, you could be distributing like moss or some fungi from area to area. Whatever. What if just drones? What if drones? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming fire risk is a huge factor in that as well, no? With, with the fu- Are you talking about the drones exploding and then causing a wildfire? Yeah. No, they're you not, crash they're it, it's got it. a lithium battery. You're in the middle of a dry rangeland in the summer. Like, oh whoosh. I no, mean, that's not something that plays into it? I don't, I don't know enough. We need, a, we need an engineer. Why? This needs to be plant pals plus an engineer. If you crash robots, they t- turn on fire. <laughs> Yeah, it reminds me of all those like Teslas that people have videos of exploding. Yeah, exactly. And it's like a it's like a new kind of fire, like lithium ion fire or whatever the fuck. Like does not go out very. Do you? Oh, this brings up a good point. Do you get mad when you see drones out in like out and about on the trail? I do because mostly they're like looking at me hiking. You know, it's like somebody trying to get their little ten minute YouTube video. Also, they're louder than hell, and I don't like hearing the zzz coming around the corner. So, but when I mean, I feel like I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like robots as a rule, but I don't. I don't have like a gut adverse reaction to it most of the time. Right. No, I'm so glad to be talking to you about this. I know this. You probably didn't expect me to want to be talking to you about this, but I think it's important. I stopped expecting what you want to talk about years ago. (laughs) Um. So what when you see a research drone, often what you're going to see is a large, um, what's called a base station that connects to the RTQ and rover. And it's going to be beeping very loudly. Now, that beeping is, it's talking to satellites. And it has to be left on for two hours in order to um, correctly locate the object or the, the time and space, right, of, of that unit as the Earth moves and rotates, right? Mm-hmm. So the difference between you going on a really nice hiking trail and then all of a sudden getting stalked by a drone and then you going out and seeing someone doing field work is often that surveying equipment. It's the same thing like you're on a street and you see like someone doing surveying and they're like looking through a hole and stuff like that. It's yeah. very similar equipment. Okay. Um, and that'll no be... no idea what they're doing when they do that. Right. I don't need... I think level. They're looking for like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> level this um but like i that surveying equipment is used is used in tandem with the drones in order to create really geographically accurate um information oh yeah okay and so that's super important for rare plants and yeah I, yeah um no i think they I mean, have huge benefits i just think we're in a weird like growing pains phase of like clunky robots that are just getting sophisticated enough to get the data that could really start to like push the needle in a positive direction. That's why this whole fucking century feels like the weird adolescence of yeah. potentially a better society, but it's annoying in the meantime. Yeah. And, and like, I get it. Like drones are creepy and we don't have a ton. We have a ton of research going into using drones to generate data but not a lot of research into using that data yet. And our okay. lab our lab is kind of on the forefront of that. And I'm really excited about our work. Um, we might even in the future less be having grad students and students be doing the drone flights and more um, funding uh, professional drone uh, pilots 
Which awesome. I think is another direction the field is going is having businesses that specialize in collecting the data and processing oh, the imagery. God, you're already privatizing it. I know I'm such a convert. I really am. <laughs> it's like it's get shit cool. done. I still get to do field work. Like I still go out and do monitor plants. I still go out there and look for look for weeds. Um, I love it, but it, I also get this really sick map. Uh, at the end of it that, you know, I don't, it doesn't have to be a Google map. It's my map because yeah. we paid for it. So, and we get to see what Sagebrush does over long periods of time, right? And um, how Sagebrush recovers after a wildfire. Um, does microtopography influence how this not fire non-adapted plant grows back into a burnt area? Mm-hmm. Um, what about um, different subspecies of sagebrush, um, which I have opinions about. But, what, or what about different chromosome counts? What if, like, sagebrush with different chromosome counts, which, and this is unpublished yet, but will be coming out soon, um, we could probably detect that from drone imagery. Chromosome? Um, yes. Yeah. Of how many, um, of what polyploid number different sagebrush wow. uh, bunches are. And w- there's imagery that shows um, some being this polyploid, this being this polyploid, this being this, all in the same image. Um, How? It's wild, isn't it? Um, Leaf morphology, coloration. So there's Um, physical traits being measured. Yes, spectral traits. So based on, um, it's usually based on hyperspectral data. So that's beyond uh, red, green, blue. That goes Mm -hmm. into all the colors between that. And then also outside of that. So um, three colors that come to mind are like uh, near-infrared. I don't know if that's really a color. There's infrared. Um, there's something that's, I think, before infrared called SWIR1 and SWIR2. Um, yeah. I f- shortwave infrared, something like that. Um, so, w- And then there's all these colors in between that. And so for plants, they reflect these um, back Right, and so that's what we're seeing. Or, wait, plants absorb it. I'm sorry, yeah, plants are absorbing it. And so um, we see that in the reflectance. Wait, now I'm confused. See, if I talk about light too much, I get confused. We need a physicist. Everybody, do. I don't even think physicists have light quite done yet. We need an engineer to talk about lithium batteries and Elon Musk. And then we also need a physicist to explain how light reflectance and refract. Refraction? Is that a word? Refraction. Yeah, that's a word. I want that. Go hire someone. Plant Pals has the budget for it. I should have just went to Burning Man and did like man on the street interviews because I would have bumped into those two clowns immediately. Yeah. Did you see the pictures of the fairy shrimp and the weird invertebrates? They were finding a Burning Man? No. Like Burning Man attendees were finding the shrimp? Yeah, like... Right. Woke up. Because they're like in the soil of the playa. Yeah. Well, that is a ruined ecosystem now, too. Well, it's like, I I think they're okay. It's a big, dry lake. Have you been out there? I've I've done some vegetation monitoring out there. No, I don't even really know where. I mean, it's like Nevada, right? Yeah. Black Rock Lake. Yeah, northwestern Nevada by um, Winnemucca. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I've spent very little time in Nevada. Oh, you need to go out there, especially oh. during the wildflower season. The only yeah. places I've been is Las Vegas and the surrounding like no. immediate state parks. Go to Washoe County. It's remote. You'll, you could just, oh, it's so beautiful. Pronghorn antelope and sage grouse and really healthy stands of sagebrush. A lot of really cool areognums. Yeah. Yeah. It's really they do a lot the of Trinity tests. Is that of Las Vegas? What, what's up? The Trinity test. What's that? Where they detonated the first nuclear bomb, and now we are all sons of bitches. Okay, Oppenheimer. I don't know. That was that was north of Las Vegas, right? Like out in, I think it was still Mojave, so not Sagebrush, but I thought it went into. Um, I thought it went like the dust from that went into uh, that Utah city, not Beaver. St. George. Yeah, St. George. Yeah, no, the drinking water there is like radioactive. I have a friend there right now. I told him, I said, hey, listen, 
you're you're telling him about all your radioactive stuff. That's cool. <laughs> Hope he doesn't die. <laughs> Me too. We'll find out in fifty years. Um. So, uh, Goathead. Goathead. Hit me with the Goathead. What's the Latin name? Uh, Tribulus Terrestrius. Did you Otherwise not know that? Puncture vine? Yeah. Yeah, nobody calls it Goathead. Uh, so, in Cal- on Calflora, it's Puncture vine. But Tribulus uh, Terrestrius. It's related to um, Creosote. Huh. Zygophilacy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, I still got it. Yeah. So it's and native to uh, the uh, Middle East, to Mediterranean, uh, North Africa. And um, I used to have 3D printed models of the goat heads. I mean, I, I've, cool. been, I've been growing goat head. Yeah. Are they right off camera? Um, they're like, it's not doing well. It's mostly dead. I'm also growing an Erodium Secutarium, which is doing sick right now. So awesome. Uh, it's a great indoor plant. I'm also growing an avocado. Look how cute my avocado is. Oh, those are nice leaves. Yeah. So good. Um, anywho, so where imagine you're a cattle or an elephant or a rhino or something, you step on goat head and you don't like the sensation, right? Yeah. It has these, the, they're schizocarps that break apart into mericarps. And each one of the maricarps has two prongs on it. Um, mm-hmm. And imagine Brutal. you're like, I stepped on a barefoot. I had him in my driveway. In, yeah, people uh, get hospitalized. Mexico. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, it's the worst. Yeah, people get hospitalized. It sucks. But imagine you're like one of these large pachyderms or um, ungulates or whatever, and you mm-hmm. step on it and you don't like the sensation. And so um, it's shaped like a V almost. Like the entire fruit. It, it's got the goat head prongs, like a goat's head, like horns. And then the rest of the shape is like kind of like a triangle. And yeah. then the, the animal doesn't like that sensation of being stabbed. So it'll rub that fruit into the soil. And when it does that, it's a perfect wedge shape for the fruit to get put wedged into the soil. And it has... Um, an invagination at each one of the openings for the seeds. And this the goat head fruit, I think, has like two to two to six seeds in it or something. Some number like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it varies fruit to fruit, whatever. And the roots, when when there's right, when it's hot and when there's good precipitation, the roots can come down and grow into the soil. And it likes disturbed conditions. Think like um, grasslands. Um, places with sandy soils, a lot of, uh, not a lot of clay. Um, it does not like wa- water being waterlogged. Yeah. Um, but so it needs these like hot uh, c- conditions with hot water, like during summer rains, in order to germinate. But the seeds can last in the seed bank either within the, f- the maricarp or outside of it. Um, Think outside of it. I would love to test that um, for about three to eight years. So up to three years and then beyond to eight years. But some some will grow that same season. Um, so you might get two germinations in the same um, summer, fall season. And then some are going to grow um, in a year or in two years and three years. And I've heard up to 13 years. Now, I don't know how accurate that is. I don't even know if it'll survive. I think it survives composting. Um, the city of Boise is interested in looking at this with me. Um, I don't think it, I think it will survive composting, but they're pretty sure it won't. But we tell people do not compost it. Just throw the plant away. Yeah. Um, so um, it pops people's bike tires. Yeah. It has spread into the Western United States since about the 1800s, uh, late 1800s, from uh, sheep grazing, uh, where there was probably in sheep wool and like food and stuff and tools. We had, Idaho has a really long history of Basque farmers, uh, Basque ranchers and stuff. Uh, and so, but it's it's been around the Western United States for quite some time. So it likes the kind of dry conditions that the Boise area has. Boise's a desert, um, despite it having a river in the middle of it. Um, it does not get much rainfall. Definitely less than Los Angeles. 
Um, not significantly less, but um, so Boise likes these really dry conditions. Or I'm sorry, Goathead likes these really dry conditions in Boise. And what our lab's research has shown is that Goathead is most prevalent in low-income communities with a lot of bare ground and low connectivity with streets. So a lot of cul-de-sacs and a lot of like dead ends and stuff. Um, that's kind of weird. Like why would Goathead do better in lower income neighborhoods? It probably has to do with like the amount of tree canopy and artificial irrigation as well as um, Goathead being more, um, it doesn't like shadows, right? So the tree canopy would block that and the water would cause all of the seed mortality. Um, also, rich people can afford landscaping. And so rich people yeah. can also afford um, hiring people to spray herbicide. Whereas a lot of working people and renters don't have the time and energy in order to invest in those resources. And neither should they have to. Um, yeah. So our, we made a map of using these factors to inform where Goathead is. And it's called goatheadmap.com. You should check it out. Have you looked at it? I've sent it to you like five times. No, I'll look at it right now. You are trash. You are human trash. You are a goat head. Go feed. Not loading. Yes, it will. Goatheadmap.com. Okay. But in the meantime, you were saying? <sighs> what else was I saying? And so we created this map in order to inform people of where like better areas or to remove goat head. And it's really exciting. And so we have a group in the city of Boise called Weed Warriors that goes around and removes invasive species like Goathead. And we also have a music festival called Goathead Fest in which people are rewarded. Yeah, cool. Yeah, people are rewarded for removing as much Goathead as possible. You could definitely get like the death metal community behind that. There's a lot of goat-themed bands. Yeah, I mean, normally the type of musicians we have are like pop, reggae, um rappers, stuff like that, or the, the people that came to go to Fest. There's some rock. It was fun. Oh, this... I like the hotspot. Yeah, so that you're looking at the hotspot map right now. And so this isn't a distribution model, but this is a susceptibility. Like what areas, uh, okay. what areas given those abiotic factors I told you about, property value, street connectivity, amount of bare ground are influencing what areas are most susceptible to goat head in the city of Boise. Given we also monitored for 60 miles around the city. Okay. BSU looks very susceptible or at least right next to it. Right. And so BSU has a lot of low income housing, uh, student housing, right? And then BSU mm-hmm. also has a lot of bare ground because they're developing stuff all the time. But we also have an amazing team of landscapers. So if you go out to BSU, you'll notice like, wait, there's not a lot of goat head here. And that's because they've really aggressively managed it. Now, it, there's another hotspot on there by Ann Morrison Park, which is an urban park. It's large. Um, it's gorgeous. Um, there's just constantly events and people there. And a lot of people look at this map and say, there's no goat head there. But there's, there is. And you just have to look on the periphery of the park. Um, there's large amounts of homeless people that live um, just on the periphery of the park. There's a homeless shelter. And they're most heavily impacted by Goathead. If you get your bike tire popped and that's your transportation, like you are just completely screwed over. Yeah. Um, and there's Goatheads in those neighborhoods. And as well as um, there's a development that's near Ann Morrison. Um, that's where the, the College of uh, Western Idaho is going to build a new campus. And I've seen piles of goat head there. Fruits, fruit piles, like massive, really? like dunes, like everywhere. Dunes. And um, uh, outside of it, there was a van. Um, a homeless family was out trying to escape the heat. And there's little kids like playing on the cement um, with no shoes on. And it was just Ooh. like, it was just heart wrenching. Um, and that's like, that's the reality of living in a city with an invasive species that affects people is it's affecting people disproportionately. Yeah, absolutely. It's not affecting rich people. 
is, and if it is, they can deal with it quite easily. Mm -hmm. Um, But the people that need bikes, the people that need to be able to walk outside without fearing for hospitalization when they might not have health insurance. um, This is why we need to take care of Goathead, especially if we want a green future where we're not reliant on cars. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we will also be using our drones in order to study the growth and distribution of Goathead in abandoned lots. And so I'm really excited about that part of the project as well. We're going to try piloting it this summer. Well, I guess it's fall now. Yeah, I thought it is. Time's running out. <laughs> um, so do you think the seed bank between higher income and lower income areas is the same and it's just response no. time is quicker? No, I think the seed bank is significantly different, but I would love to look at that. Um, I think that would be, we haven't done any seed bank work and we've been talking a lot about it. It's just like a, a lot of our lab is spatial ecology. And though that could somewhat fit under the framework, um, we've mostly been looking at mature adult plants, uh, flowering and fruiting. God, I'm just looking at pictures of those seeds. They are just the nastiest seed. Well, so it's not the seed. You're looking at the fruit. The, yeah, the schizocarp. It's the, the maricarp. Well, the maricarp is once they break off. I'm looking at the yes. full five-sided so full, one. Right, okay. So it's five-sided, right? That's after the ovaries have developed. And then it's the, the five maricarps together and then they break apart um yeah super interesting and it's usually pollinated by western honeybees is what we've been finding too so an invasive species pollinating an invasive species to the surprise of no one go ahead fast that's a badass logo yeah they have a lot of really cool like researchers artists Musicians, craftsmen do like help with the Goat Head Fest. It's a very cool collaborative community effort. Could you imagine if Los Angeles did that with like Brassica Nigra or, right. you know, they did that with Kutsu Weed in the South? They're like, you know, just real community efforts around um, invasive species removal. Yeah. I mean, I've always heard about like, you know, eat the weeds or, you know, weed removal day. Like there's small roaming bands of people that do it, but like full citywide awareness of it. Because if people just like blink it as they go, like, oh, there it is in the sidewalk, I'll just grab it. You know, I mean, if it's not in seed, you're fine. But if it's in seed, it's a different story. But yeah, that'd be really cool to kind of mobilize at a city large, citywide scale for people just to get rid of it. I wonder, like, do you think, do you anticipate if this all goes according to plan, like a reduction in the amount of goat head in the area? Yeah. So goat head can only survive an extremely small amount of Boise. Mm-hmm. It is, it is not suitable. Most of the city of Boise is not suitable habitat for goat head. That alone is good news. Yeah. That means if most of the city of Boise is not suitable habitat for goat head, we have a manageable amount of space that we could do eradication efforts in. And if you do just a few years of physical removal of an invasive species, um, you reduce its seed bank and you create more manageable populations. I've seen areas where goat head has been wiped out completely. Yeah. 100%. Awesome. Yes. And so I think if the city of Boise and cities like it, like Salt Lake City and Denver, if we were to really put science and restoration ecology and mathematical modeling, Drones, community science, community compensation, where we're actually giving people money in order to do removals and stuff like that. Um, incorporating this into bike repair, into bike culture, um, all those yeah. collaborative effects. We could, we could. It has to be multi-pronged. It cannot be. There's no silver. Just like bullet. Goathead. Yeah. There's no. There's no silver bullets. There's no one thing that's going to fix this. Yeah. That's a really cool idea. I know. I've always kind of daydreamed about like if you pay you know someone in the redwoods or if you just say like hey city of santa cruz it's five cents a foot for english ivy get out there like you think it would be eradicated like people would take that up yeah and then there's also the issue of what if people just move it yeah. so that they could make money off of it so it's got to yeah. be a Start little more nu- 
I think that's finding the silver bullet, right? And we can't do that. We have to be more nuanced and more collaborative with our approaches to invasive species removal. It's not going to just be spray herbicide all over the city. That's going to kill a bunch of relictual native plants. Yeah, what kind of relictual native plants? Like, what's the... Oh my gosh. Yeah. So like, I, when I think of LA, I think of like little patches of chaparral in the middle of like West Hollywood or something. What's the equivalent there? Okay, it's not West Hollywood, but I know what you're Whatever. talking about. There's like Alex Trebek Park, and that has a population what? of funa- Funastrum uh, funicula- Is it Funiculoides? Is that what it is? Funastrum, the climbing milkweed? Yeah. Her, her, funastrum hard. Her, Veggie or something like that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or heterophylla. Right. I think there has been a lot of like taxonomic issues with that. Psychonoides subspecies heterophyllum, or yeah, then they split it, they lump it. So, yeah, everything yeah. you just said is correct. <laughs> There's a lot of issues with that group. But, anywho, it is in Alex Trebek Park, and that's just stone throw from, or a bottoms throw from West Hollywood. That's so, a that's bottoms kind of, throw. When you, th- when you chuck a twink across the city. <laughs> um, there's, so many, that one. there's so many thirst traps on that. I'm trail. calling the episode Chuck a Twink. I can I can bench press the guys I'm dating now. <laughs> Fuck yeah, you're getting I've been then. I've been going to the gym like except this out? week I haven't been going to the gym. Um but normally I've been going to the gym like every other day. I pulled my shoulder um these fucking bros walked up to me and they're like are you gonna be off the machine soon and i just sat down and so of course me being me i just go even harder and like and then take breaks to like look at my phone and shit i was being dumb and then of course i blew out my shoulder doing that and so oh my god i haven't gone to the gym in like a week but um yeah i'm really excited to get back into it the i mean the guy i'm seeing now I haven't tried bench pressing him, but the guy before that, I did bench press him. Um, I could do it. It's not that hard. <laughs> he I'm sounds a, so straight right now. I'm a beast. Surprisingly. It's kind I could of do. I, I could bench press and book that. But, um, yeah, Runyon Canyon, that place is a nightmare. It's just like... Ugh. Where, down in LA? Yeah, it's just like just thoughts everywhere as far as the eye could see. T-H-O-T? Yeah. And it's just like, it is nice sage, uh, coastal sage scrub, which, okay, is like a type like of chaparral, which is a hot take, but like, it's not quite chaparral. It's not quite coastal enough. climax community in certain climate zones. Wait, but listen, it's not quite coastal enough to be like real CSS. But it's like, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, oh, you it's know what R- I mean? Riversidean sage scrub, right? Something like in Artemisia, California, some shit like that. But yeah. um, it's cute. There's Diablin, and then there's a third. I always forget. But so I wouldn't. That's kind of relictual. But I think even more relictual is like when I'm in um, Chinatown in um, L.A., and mm-hmm. then I see Brickellia Californica growing out of a sidewalk crack. Really. Like, Somewhere in that area is a population of Brickellia californica and it's distributed seeds into that sidewalk crack. That is evidence of some sort of relictual habitat in which it was living near the LA River, which mm-hmm. is just what whatever. So that's the kind of stuff I'm really into. In Boise, yeah. in Boise, you have relictual Artemisia tridentata, Ericamaria naziosa. Um, you know, you have the cottonwoods, which have been kind of like mixed and hybridized a lot with other non non-regionally native cottonwood. Um, A lot of the willows, kind of the same situation has been going on. But out in the city, you have these pockets of Asclepia speciosa, which, Mm -hmm. milkweed just makes my heart sing. Yeah, there's still a couple popping around here. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we have had monarchs in the past, but um, this especially is not a good year for monarch butterflies. And I wanted to do tagging. It's not? How do you know? In California, it's great. This is an amazing year for monarch butterflies in California. Anyhow, but not the larger U.S., North America? Well, no, that's not true. It just depends on where you are. So monarchs are weird. They're doing different things in different places. Up in Idaho, I don't know why, but they're not doing that great. There's not a lot of them here right now. But in Southern California, they're thriving. So I think 
So Monarch Predictions, 2023, Richard Rockman. I think the overwintering count is going to be really good this year, especially yeah. in Southern California. Think we'll break a mill? No. Yeah. Maybe, maybe like break 300,000. 300, so do you know why they bottomed out so suddenly and severely? Like, obviously, they were on a decline for years, decades. But yeah, they were on a decline for years. But it, it went from like, what was the year before 2020? It was like still a six-digit number, right? So, and then all of a sudden, it was 2,000? Yeah, so 2021, I believe, was 2,000. Oh. And then 2022 was 250,000. And then 2023 was 350,000. So there might have been some monarchs that crossed from the Eastern population to the Western population. And that led to an increase. I've talked about this on the last time I was on your podcast. Like almost word for word. That was a year ago now. Isn't that wild? In your attention span. <laughs> it was a year ago. <laughs> um, but yeah. so there was the fucking bloat fly the whole time. I don't even know it, what you're talking about. I'm definitely judging you. But there was probably some population increase from the Eastern population to the Western population, either over the Rocky Mountains or under... Do they sneak back up coming from Mexico and some of them just get lost? Some of them might have done that. Um, Usually it's separate. Usually the Western population um, overwinters in off the coast of LA or on the coast of, I'm sorry, on the coast of California. Um, The peak of that region is going to be San Luis Obispo and Monterey. Mm -hmm. And so that's where most of the the monarchs um, overwinter in Santa Barbara and stuff like that. So very few in Los Angeles, even less few in Orange County, San Diego, and Baja, California. Just lack of trees? Um, no, it's just like, it's more ideal, uh, more ideal climatically, and their migration patterns peak in those regions. In Santa Barbara, okay. Ventura County, um, up into San Luis Obispo, Monterey. Oh, I always thought it was just kind of... Uh... A bias is like, oh, the butterflies can be seen here because this is the place we can get to to see them. But they literally like, like what Pebble Beach, Pacific Grove, Slow, Pismo Beach. They've probably historically always been great places to see monarch butterflies. Okay, huh? Um, and they have ideal climatic conditions. Um, yes, probably trees play a large part of it. Shrubs, uh, monarchs can also. Um, like I told you before, monarchs have been seen on creosote out in Death Valley. Um, so that's kind of cool that they overwinter on creosote. Yeah. Um, so they can overwinter on all sorts of different plants, uh, native and non-native, including like eucalyptus and stuff like that. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think Southern California, last year, it was not a good year for the overwintering count in Southern California. But it was a great year in Northern California. And now I think the tides are going to switch. And I think Southern California is going to be better. And Northern California is not going to be as good. Interesting. But we'll see. I could be wrong. Is that based off of what? Precipitation for the year? Just based on me being so smart. I mean, hey, you're the face of monarch conservation in Los Angeles. Oh, my god! You've been on Fox News. I've been on Fox News. Sean Hannity loves me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was it was like local, like the local. It was a Fox affiliate. It was yeah, Fox it was a Fox affiliate. They're so different. <laughs> I don't. Th- I think I would say no if they asked me to be on. They would just. You wouldn't go on Tucker Carlson if he said, "Hey, come." He's been come kicked on. on fo- he's been. Kicked oh off yeah, Fox whatever the fuck. Is. Who's who's the guy now? Oh, I Do they hate not him. have a guy. He invites his mom on. I forget what his name is. Oh yeah, and his mom's like, "You're a Republican piece of shit. Get your yeah. act together." And he's like, "Ha ha, mother." <laughs> But you wouldn't go just for a chance to yell at some asshole on the live TV no, for a half hour? did you hour? not hear what happened to the um, anti, anti-work um, uh, moderator from Reddit that went on... Oh, of um, course I haven't heard what the anti-work moderator from Reddit's up to. They went on Fox News and they just got eviscerated because they, like, were a dog walker. Which is, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with being a dog walker, but, like... Also, you should ask your fellow moderators, like, hey, is it okay if I go on national news and speak on behalf of all of us? Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, like, tore them apart. And the person had, like, I don't know, some 
like just issues being on TV and had no media training whatsoever and was just like... Were they trying it, to argue a serious point or were they going on to be a troll? No, they were arguing a serious point about why... Oh, see, I would go on to be a troll. Um, I think it's called anti-work. But um, yeah, it spawned a new subreddit because people were so pissed off about the drama that they created a work reform, which they're both really good subreddits about, you know, labor rights. And, but I don't yeah. know if... I don't know if I want a dog walker giving whatever. Solidarity, brother. I know. That's class cannibalism, what I just said. You're right. (laughs) There are more articulate people than part-time Reddit moderator. Yes, I think that's my point. Or like maybe just don't go on Fox News ever because they're toxic. Or don't don't parade (laughs) yourself as the public face of a Reddit. But I was on an affiliate, so... What I'm saying doesn't count. (laughs) Did you get media training at all? A little bit. I've been media trained a little bit. Really? I just went on a podcast. Dark money. (laughs) Who I I had a I did tell you I had a oak tree restoration funded by Kraft Cheese, right? No. Is that dark money? That's cheesy money. (laughs) (laughs) That was a cheesy joke. Um, yeah, it was like after. Was it like if you buy a box, we'll plant a tree kind of? No, thing? no, no. They just gave us a bunch of money to make sure that that area got reforested. Oh, word. I was technically on the way tail end of that, like almost a decade later, but probably over a decade actually. But um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what else do I want to talk about? I got sagebrush, always into sagebrush and its recovery into different areas. Goat head. That's another thing goat I'm head. on. We talked about sagebrush, goat head, um, weeds. Yeah, bench pressing twinks, throwing them across the place. I don't want twinks. I have twinks. You said twinks. There's been a few twinks in my life. Mostly not twinks. Oh, but if I call you a berry, I get a 10 minute talking to you about body positivity. Did I do that? I feel like I've yeah, never done that. Yeah, at Holly's bachelorette party. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, am I an otter? You're like, it's reductive. And I was like, but am I? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of are. <laughs> um, what else? That's pretty much all I've been doing. I teach classes on like iNaturalist, which I'm really excited about. How do you do that? I wish, more of that. You, I wish more of you people would be doing that, to be honest. Dude, I try with iNat. I go through phases. No, that's great. I do too. But you need to be teaching laymen how to use it. All of you. Oh, like how to use the app. I thought you meant like taxonomy or something. No, fuck that. All of you people need to be going out into the communities and creating converts of soccer moms and boomers and children, (laughs) specifically those three groups, and teaching them how to use iNaturalist and why it matters and why community science is important. Okay, so tell me about your classes then. Um, I've been doing it in Apothecary, which is super cool. Um, I buy herbs and spices from them and kombucha. But um, I teach this class in Boise where people come out and I teach them about iNaturalist and how to use it, how to take good pictures. I do some taxonomy stuff. But honestly, I I, I tell them in the beginning, I think any taxonomy discussion I give them is going to go from one ear out the other. Yeah. Um, And I'd rather just teach you how to teach yourself. And then I give yeah. them, a, at the end of the talk, I'll give them a bunch of uh, websites where they can start their learning journey. No, definitely. I think, and I'm not being like, well, yeah, of course you're not going to get taxonomy. I don't fucking taxonomy. No. It's just, it's a pretty heady topic to start with. No, and then like filleries and involucre and alternate leaves, like whatever. Like, yeah, you can memorize like a lot of that stuff, but why not just Google it? Because Google yeah. is pretty cool. Oh, thank God for glossaries. Or like I have a dictionary of, Botany terms on my desk. Yeah, right? that rule is by the couple, the two. Oh, I, I use people little that jo- people know. Little Jones. Little, I don't know Little Jones. A dictionary of botany. By who? Uh, by uh, little Jones. Yeah, I also have a book by Keeter called California Plant Families that I like a lot. You know botany today? I've just got an email about that. That book kicks ass. It's a little woo woo because it's like about foraging and. It's made by like some guy that lived off grid and like yeah, but that's food, how which we, is tight. But but that's how we get people excited about plants. Oh yeah, it's got it's like it's got 
a little bit for everybody. It's got like the taxonomy nerds. It's got no uh, the forage nerds. Totally, it's got, like it brings in all the different. But you, groups. you, and other people in Plant Pals, and we we just need to be getting out into the community, meeting people, shaking hands, and t- and talking to them about plants and talking to them about iNaturalist. Like totally, th- this existence in our little bubbles it needs to end uh, i mean i do have a science communication podcast for what it's worth yeah but it's it's just some dudes screaming about robots and shit it's like, yeah and then by the end of it you're like i learned what a fillery was no, we didn't even talk about what filleries were or What's involucres filler? or opposite or alternative alternative leaves is it al- alternate filleries are just bracts for asters you're fucking bracts right yeah, I guess that's right. I don't know. Yeah, you don't know. I just called you. I just called you a brack. I'm really sorry. What <laughs> otter? You showy brack. Yes. All right. Fine. So just so people walk away having learned something from this episode, I'm going to give you the straight from the source dictionary description. Are you going to Google? Filler. Why don't you just yes. use that book you just mentioned? Because it's in my bookcase and it's a big noise if I take my headphones off and walk away. Oh my god! It's a single bract of the involucre of a composite flower. The involucre is the grouping of bracts together. The, the fillery is the individual scale. The involucre is the whole of the filleries. Underneath nope. the flower, really where the flower meets the that. stem. I'm really glad you did that. All right. Anything else you want people to know about before we wrap this one up? Go monitor monarchs. Everyone should go on westernmonarchcount.org. Um, we have the Thanksgiving count and we have the New Year's Eve count. Um, one's Is that about, the Xerxes Society? Yeah, it's with the Xerxes Society. One's approximately three weeks and one's approximately two weeks. And monarch populations go down from Thanksgiving to New Year's. That's okay. We kind of figure. But that's a good way to gauge what's going on with the population. So, gotcha. Um, westernmonarchcount.org. Go sign up to be a volunteer. And if you're in LA County, come help me. So, yeah, And also, goatheadmap.com. Goatheadmap.com. Check out goatheadmap.com. Check it. For all, your, for all your goathead needs. <laughs> you're the best. You do so much. You don't get your flowers enough. My flowers? Yeah, it's a, it's a colloquial term for paying someone their due respect while they're still alive. Money? Can I have more money? Where's <laughs> that? Where's mind. that? Where's that plant pals money? <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> I might start making merch of just buying like old thrift shop T-shirts and then like getting like a twenty dollars screen printer and just putting the logo on. The I have I have your sticker that says. Um, I have that shirt. I'm. You keep talking. I'm gonna go. How can, how can evolution? Um, be real when grass is so perfect. Oh, I forgot I made that. And like, and like people, th- yeah, and people like think I smoke weed. Because <laughs> like, like I forgot the grass was called, oh, called like grass. grass, like seventies weed grass. Yeah, but I've been sober for like a long time. I've yeah, dog. I have almost, that shirt. Almost ten. No, you don't. It's not the same. That's the same shirt. It's similar. Oh, I don't have any Monstera on it, I guess. Yeah, you don't have any fucking Monstera. Whatever. I have prayer plant. But um, I'm, I'm going to be so- 10 years sober on the 21st. Isn't that nuts? Congratulations. Yeah. I would say it's hard, but it's really not. And the first few years is hard, but after that, it's really yeah. easy. It's just don't do it. Just don't do it. <laughs> Just stop being addicted to drugs, everybody. Stop doing drugs. No, that's awesome, dude. Nancy Reagan was Nancy Reagan was right. (laughs) I mean, she was right about some stuff. All right. Well, before we get canceled, uh, that's it. Goatheadsmap.com, westernmonarchcount.com. Goathead, goatheadmap.com. Don't doesn't matter. We're gonna confuse people. Don't worry. Goatheadmap.com. And what and westernmonarchcount.org. .org. Oh, cool. We got the org on that one. Well, I didn't Whatever. do it. Xerxes did. All right. Thanks. Love you. Bye. Wait, you better, you better uh, remove the cancelable. <laughs>
Let's start talking about Nancy Reagan. Like, all right, all right, all right. Let's call this one. (laughs) 